and welcome to the ninth episode of the Waterlogged Podcast. We're your hosts, Howard Marlow and Dan Genalfi. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks very much to Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network for hosting us. If you're not subscribed to our email updates on federal policy and coastal resilience, please go to waterlog.net to get subscribed. It really is hurricane season now. August 20th marks the start of peak season. And for East Coast surfers, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. The lack of storms so far this year and the growing amount of ocean water that is heating up near the Cape Verde Islands is alarming. And really, we just want some wind to make waves. None of us need anything over 60 miles an hour, because after that it's chaos on the East Coast, because most of the East Coast lacks real point breaks like you see in California or in the Northeast, uh, which are necessary to handle larger swells. Uh, Big swells will crash into beaches as what we call closeouts, breaking all at once and providing essentially no rideable wave face. Uh, the East Coast has to settle for mainly sand-only beach breaks, but we're fine with that because some spots are pretty darn good. But today we want to start off with something that has really gotten virtually no media attention, um, and those are the, rag- the raging fires in the Amazon. Now, if you don't know this, the Amazon provides roughly 20% of the world's oxygen, so effectively long- Earth's lungs are on fire. You know, we're capable of going to the moon, taking on global enemies, but we can't take care of our home with all the technologies that we've created. And I think that predicts a pretty dismal future. However, I I remain optimistic uh, if our leadership can turn things around. Well, if you're you're one person who's optimistic about the potential for leadership here because it doesn't look so good at the moment. Right now, we've got a hint from the president when Trump offered to buy Greenland. Why would he do that? Well, here's our exclusive insight into the reason Trump wants to buy Greenland. You'll hear it here first. There were reports that Trump wanted to buy Greenland, but his staff didn't know why. Here's some background. Greenland really isn't so green, but I guess the name Iceland was already taken, so they went to green, so to speak. It's owned by Denmark, but it has its own elected government. Now, Denmark is a U.S. ally, has been, since just after our own revolution. There's soldiers fight and die alongside ours in the Middle East and Afghanistan, and we have an important military base there. Now, here's why Trump wants to buy Greenland. Greenland's ice is melting. That reveals huge amounts of sand that have been iced in. Sand is in short supply throughout the world, mostly because it's a key ingredient used in construction, such as bedding for pipes, cables, and other underground infrastructure. But mostly, the sand is used to make concrete, to build houses, highways, and harbors for a growing world. It's also in short supply from the Rockaways to the Riviera. I'm talking about the coast. Now, Trump wants sole access. Bear with me here now, folks. He wants sole access to the sand for one of two reasons. The U.S. gets the sand and it becomes the federal share of state and local costs for his yet-to-be-revealed national infrastructure plan. Saves a whole bunch of money if you look at it his way. In actuality, Greenland would cost money. But nevertheless, it works out. Then again, he might want it for his golf courses, some of which are located along the coast, so they both need sand 
for coastal protection as well as for the ninth hole, as well as the 18th hole, I guess. Either way, I think that's real foresightedness. So now, then he went about, he, he, he teed off the British Prime Minister when he offered to buy Greenland, and she called the idea absurd. And then Trump called her nasty for saying it was absurd. So for a moment, let's get back to the ever-diminishing world of reality. Sand is in world short supply, and the world climate is warming, and that means Greenland's eight glaciers are melting, and it does open up huge supplies of sand. The United States has become increasingly interested in the Arctic because the Chinese and Russian, Russians are expanding as melting their interest up there, uh, you know, as the melting ice uh, makes the area more accessible to ships. Like most things that related to Trump's absurdities, this one, in terms of buying it, will fade away, but the Arctic uh, will not, nor will climate change. Climate, well, climate change is here now. I think so many people are so scared that they just choose to decide it's not real. Mm -hmm. And the costs of mitigation and adaptation are not low. We know that. Everyone living on the coast or even in a flood zone has the need to elevate or protect their homes and assets. But oftentimes the sticker shock is extremely high. Even our federal government is shocked by how much climate change is costing us. I mean, take a look at how the Office of Management and Budget is trying to slice the coastal program project by project. You know, I just found out the other day that Apple is spending the same amount on Apple TV content as, our, as the Army Corps of Engineers spends in the Civil Works program, about $6 billion. $6 billion Apple is spending on TV. And HBO, Netflix, they're all spending just as much. Just put that in perspective. Wow. Anyway, they want state and local governments to take on essentially all the costs. And those pressures will remain so long as the President and Congress don't find a way to increase revenues. Well, that's a problem because America's deficit is increasing. In the last few days, uh, Congressional Budget Office said that things are worse than they had predicted. The trillion dollar deficit is actually going to be higher. Now, we're talking in figures that none of us really can relate to. You know, once we get about billions, I, I, I sort of lose it because you know, I think of people being, you know, richer than Trump, and they can't be any such people. Even if you look at a visualization, it, 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 an image of trying to, you know, quantify a thousand versus a billion, you can't even, or a thousand versus a trillion. It, you yeah, can't I mean, even. here in the space of the last few moments, we were talking about the core $6 billion budget. Now we're talking about a $1 trillion deficit. You can't really, in, you know, in your mind, or I guess you're saying on graphics. Humans are incapable. It's, yeah, well, some of us more than others, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, but there's a problem here with this deficit because deficits are caused by spending exceeding revenues. That's gotten worse. The Congressional Budget Office has gotten worse than they had anticipated because of the trade war which could hurt economic uh, growth in the U.S., maybe worldwide, and then fears of a recession. So you already expected to have, you know, a trillion dollar deficit. It's going to increase by, what, you know, $900 million, which, again, if you just sort of look at it, you take as being a, a big figure. But, okay, let's take it down to reality. Let's take it down the, the core's budget of $6 billion, of which... 150 million, now we're getting down the numbers that we might find more understandable. The course budget is 150, for coastal reduction, has uh, improved 
coastal um, coastal erosion. Yeah, thank you. Preservation. Uh, you know, th those kinds of things are $150 million. That's it. It's package changes, two uh, interchanges, the cost of two interchanges on the uh, highway that you're going on next. So, you know, from that point of view, you look at it, the deficit is uh, a large part of it, most of it, is interest payments that we are paying because we went into debt, because our revenues didn't you know, equal our, you know, our, our costs. So the more debt we have, the less Congress can actually appropriate for programs, including the Coastal Program, the entire Corps of Engineers, NOAA, FEMA, you name it. Pick your agency, even defense spending. All are limited by the fact that we have this rising deficit. So I, I would say it's a huge problem. And it's not just the federal government that has to increase revenues. It's all of the states and local governments that are going to have to, you know, they're already facing adaptation uh, challenges. And they're going to have to figure out some way either to increase taxes or do otherwise. So uh, and those are real challenges. In order to do that, there really needs to be a convening of leadership to discuss alternatives. So in November, Coastal Strategy is holding a leadership summit in Pennsylvania, right in Philadelphia, as a matter of fact, where we're going to be bringing together corporations, federal, state, and local agencies, and other businesses to collaborate on how to finance coastal resilience projects. Yeah, we've, we've hinted at this before, and we're finally getting close to sharing it, sharing it with you guys. Uh, but we're extremely excited to have participation at, at our leadership summit in, in uh, Philadelphia uh, with participation from Morgan Stanley, Moody's Investor Service, University of Pennsylvania's Water Center, SNBC, the Coastal States Organization, and others including engineering firms, infrastructure advisors, capital advisors, and risk advisors. Um, this is going to be much more than just a series of presentations. We are going to be talking, discussing, finding ways uh, to work together in work groups to actually produce results that identify ways to finance coastal projects. It's something that really hasn't been done in the past um, at all. There's really no history for it, but it's something that is absolutely necessary. So if you guys are interested, uh, please let us know. Space is very limited. We only really want uh, you know, true participants, the lead leaders to be there. Um, but if you are interested in coming, uh, please contact us. You know, Dan, this is something that we've been working on uh, for the past several years. Our listeners may not be aware, but we started on it uh, when we realized that the Corps' budget was flatlined. And so therefore, not only is their budget flatlined, but really the other agencies that are in this field of coastal resilience, whatever, however you define that term, uh, and adaptation and all of the climate change and sea level rise, their budgets are flatlined and people are fighting just to hold on to the levels of spending that they currently have. So it's something that uh, we have, we realized a few years ago that the federal government was not going to be the solution. We were going to, in terms of being the money bags, we were already, you know, debted up to as far more than our necks. We're, we're out of we're out of room, we're out of breathing room there. So the role of businesses in, in the climate and, and, and the global markets is going to be changing because people are going to say, okay, what are you doing? And they're going to come back and say, well, we've issued a lot of nice statements, but you know, we're all against sea level rise or we're all for climate change. I think it's, it's going to start with housing prices. 
Ah. You know, it's already affecting it's already affecting economies. You know, we're, we're have, we have risk advisors who who are saying it's you know it's starting to affect the economy. Where should larger corporations be investing their money because climate change has serious impacts on, on those areas? But what we're already seeing through a few reports is that housing values are are not appreciating at the rate that they're supposed to be appreciating, and that essentially the, the local governments project how much money they're they're planning to have from from uh, from. Yeah, real, estate, real estate yeah, tax revenues, revenues. Yeah. and when when they lose those, it cripples their tax base, and then it prevents them from from imp implementing further projects. So really, it's it's a it's not a good cycle to be involved with unless we do something. Uh, it's going to be bad. So the role of businesses in in, in this market is going to become yeah. very important. Well, there have been some statements lately that uh, uh, from a, a lot of significant, a large number of significant corporate leaders saying that, uh, in essence, profits uh, ought not to be the sole goal of, uh, of corporations. Shareholders, shareholder value. Yeah, it, it, you know, and, and understandably, uh, uh, over the last, let's say, I'd say from the 1980s going to the present, you know, we've had uh, all this transparency that's occurred, so we've had a lot of shareholder involvement, which didn't exist uh, in the 1960s and before. Uh, and that shareholder involvement has largely resulted in a lot of accentuation on more profits, more profits, more profits. We're not making enough profits. Sell off this part, merge with that part, and do all of those things. And aside from you know, it, you know, looking at uh, the financial impacts of that, the fact is right now the business community, these leaders were saying, okay. We, we need to put some perspective on this. We have social responsibilities. They're responsibilities to our customers and the communities that we serve. And let's see what happens with that. You know, I, I'm not so positive about this. I'm gonna be a little pessimistic. Uh, some of you may think that's a change from my normal approach, but more of you will know that's kind of, you know, the way of business as usual. But look at the 18th and 19th centuries when businesses, you know, got very focused on profits, but then it was a few barons, railroad barons, steel barons, and the like, coal barons. And, and, and now it's sort of shareholder barons, and whoever the shareholders may be. Well, climate, it's gonna, climate change is going to end up affecting you know, customers and when we're buying products. I mean, it affects supply chains, logistics, and you know, it, it's true. We need our goods as consumers, but consumers also need to be protected so that we're able to lead lives that allow us to purchase and use items. Uh, that we buy, and, and often we can't do that when Mother Nature has essentially destroyed us and our houses and, and the infrastructure that we uses that we use. And in the case of hurricanes and storm surge events, we need to protect our coasts. Uh, but that leads me to a new point of something that's actually extremely concerning that happened around mid-July that we want to bring to your attention. So, go ahead, Art. Well, you know, in, in Tybee Island, which I think is the, the, the point that you were getting to yep. next, mm -hmm. Um, the federal government had uh, made a decision that I think our listeners need to know about because it, it affects not just Tybee Island. It's going to affect a lot of others. It has to do with the dunes. Do you want to talk about it? Certainly. So Corps headquarters decided in mid-July it doesn't want to use already appropriated funds to build dunes in Tybee Island, Georgia. Now, since the 1960s, science has determined the effectiveness of dunes in reducing damages to life and property. 
So why now, more than 50 years later, is the Corps ignoring modern engineering standards? Cost, which is also known as stupidity. Now, speaking of 50 years, there are several federal beach nourishment projects which we will see, uh, which, which will see an end uh, to federal money over the next five, five or so years, coming to about between now and essentially 2029, actually. And there's a process called a Section 1037 study for getting another 15 years added onto a 50-year project. But right now, only two local governments are using it. They're located in North Carolina and Georgia. And we've been told that the expiring projects in Florida have been told by the Corps to do studies, feasibility studies, for entirely new 50-year projects. And the thinking is, why not use a $3 million study to get a reauthorization for 50 years instead of 15? Well, it may sound sensible, but it's a trap actually waiting to be sprung. Projects that make it through the Section 1037 process have to seek funding but they don't need a new construction start designation and to get that. And that's the biggie. They don't, they are not new construction starts. And why is that important? Now, because those that go through the 50-year process, you have a problem. You are a new construction start. And you have to compete against the precious few that get new construction funding. Congress limits new starts every year, around half a dozen. Yeah, six last year, I believe. So it's going to be a mess because you're competing not just against your other beach project. You say, well, okay, only two or so beach projects a year. No, this is not the issue. There are several kinds of projects from uh, repairs, significant repairs to dams, ports, deepenings of ports, levees, flood control projects out in the West. Competing the whole nation. The everybody and a lot bigger projects uh, that have, let's just say, a lot more selling power with regard to the, the kind of pinhead thinking that OMB has. So uh, you do have a problem, and this is going to be a, a mess for you. If you want to find out some more information, contact us, please. This is, yeah, this is going to be a, a big problem. It's going to be a lot of competition, and it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. That's all we got for you guys today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We hope the fires in the Amazon are out by the time we air our next episode, or else we will be in trouble. But until next time, take care. Bye.